We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com podcast. I am Trevor Lane. You can find me over on X at Trevor underscore Lane or on Instagram and threads at Trevor Lane NBA. Today, well, it's Mamba Day. We've got, of course, Kobe Bryant's birthday. And then August 24th is, of course, Mamba Day. Kobe's two numbers, eight and 24. I do want to talk a bit about that. We'll get into it, of course. Uh, also, I want to talk about the Lakers wing depth on today's show and Jared Vanderbilt contractually his future with the Lakers. What's at stake What the Lakers can do in just a few short weeks with Vando. So a lot to dive into. But first, welcome in all of you are coming in uh, on YouTube over on Twitter X over on. See, I jump back and forth now. Sometimes I call it X. Sometimes I call it Twitter. I don't know. At some point, one of them will just stick. But those of you joining live across various platforms, whether it's Facebook, whether it's X, whether it's YouTube, welcome in. I'll be taking some questions and comments along the way as well. Before we get too far into this show, I do want to mention this, and this is particularly appropriate because we're going to kick things off talking about Mamba Day. But uh, I talked about this on yesterday's show. We're going to do a classic game watch party right we're all going to hang out we're going to watch a classic game that's coming up thursday night so tomorrow night as we, we're recording it podcast listeners it's tonight because of the, you most of you're probably listening to that thursday morning august 24th that's the bottom line august 24th eight o'clock pacific time over on playback playback.tv slash lakers nation come join us i put the poll up on the lakers nation youtube channel Ultimately, we decided to just go Kobe games. We talked about doing some other games in there. We'll save those for the future. Mamba Day, we're doing, we went just Kobe games. And the game that won, the game that we're all going to watch together, it is Lakers versus Suns game six from 2010. Kobe shows that killer instinct in getting rid of of the Phoenix Suns. It's going to be a great one. I can't, I'm so excited. Like they were all great options. But I think this one was the top of my list just because there were so many great, just insane Kobe moments. And he just cut the hearts out of the Phoenix Suns 
on the road in Phoenix. It's such an incredible game. So we are going to watch that one together. Come join us. It's going to be a blast. Again, playback.tv slash Lakers Nation, August 24th, coming up 8 o'clock Pacific time. Join us for that game. Going to be a lot of fun watching that one together. That is, again, our classic game watch party. We're going to start doing a few more of these as we get closer to the NBA season. Right now, we're about a month out. We're about a month out, maybe a little bit more for things to start really picking up for us to get to media day and then training camp and everything that comes with it. Yeah, there's still some things that we're waiting to hear about. Still some news that we're waiting for. Christian Wood, where's he going? Bismack Biombo, now JaVale McGee. He's going to be hitting the free agent market most likely. We also have, of course, Damian Lillard, which frankly is right now what is log jamming everything and preventing everything from happening. It's the Damian Lillard situation, but that's still out there. James Harden's still out there. Lots of stuff that still has to happen. And one of the things that we talk about a lot, especially over on the front office show, is that urgency sparks action. And what's going to happen is the urgency around the NBA to get stuff done. It's only going to increase day by day by day as we get closer and closer to the beginning of training camp. So there are still some fireworks out there. We know, we know for a fact, according to the CBA, the Lakers must sign another player. They must fill at least their 14th roster spot. They could fill a 15th roster spot if they want to. They can add two more players if they want. But the minimum, they must bring in at least one more player. It could be something as simple as bumping Colin Castleton up to that 14th roster spot. That's what they did uh, with Austin Reeves a few years back, and that eh, that worked out okay, I suppose. Um, that was a, a tremendous, tremendous move there. We'll see what they ultimately do, but somebody has to take that 14th roster spot, so we know at least one more move is coming, probably before training camp starts up. So again, we got about a month, but we know there's going to be some fireworks and things like that in between while we are still waiting for the return of Lakers basketball. By the way, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, at Trevor underscore Lane, I've been keeping the count, been keeping the count of how many days it is until we're back to Lakers basketball. And I'm just counting to preseason. So our first preseason game, we're now at, as of right now, as I'm recording this, 43, those of you are 44. For those of you listening uh, on Thursday, it'd be 43 days until preseason starts up. I can't wait. I can't wait for the Lakers to get there and, uh, and for us to get the Lakers back out on the floor. All right, before I get into the current day before I get into present day you guys know my background my background is I was I was a history teacher so hist- history that stuff it, it's going to it's going to resonate with me and in this case particularly it resonates with me when we talk about Kobe um I guess before I get into Kobe let me mention winning time so I'm actually behind an episode on winning time my wife loves winning time and uh and she's out of town uh, right now for for business and so I'm behind an episode because I told her I won't watch it without you. So I'm actually behind. But if you're not watching Winning Time, go check it out. You can check it out on on HBO Max. Um, It's fantastic. Winning Time is absolutely wonderful. And again, it for me, it checks a lot of boxes, both in terms of Lakers and in terms of history. So check out Winning Time. Please make sure you do so we get another season of that. Jeff Perlman, who has been on this show before, has been talking about that on uh, on social media about, hey, let's get Lakers fans watching this thing because we want more of Winning Time than we absolutely do. Um, But let's talk about Mamba Day. So, Kobe. uh, Obviously, as we're recording this, 45th birthday today. And then we've got Mamba Day coming up again tomorrow, August 24th. It's remarkable, first and foremost, that August 24th, 8 and 24, Kobe Bryant has 
two like locked in ironclad Hall of Fame arguments in each number. Like you could take just his accomplishments in Jersey eight, Jersey number eight, and he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. You could take just his accomplishments wearing number 24, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. That always strikes me as just insane that he's got two legit cases for the Hall of Fame in one career separated with two different jersey numbers. Absolutely unreal. But when I think about Mamba Day, and I think about Mamba mentality and all of that sort of stuff that that we can aspire to, you know, what is it, what are the positives? And Kobe's certainly not infallible, but what are some of the positives that we take away from Kobe Bryant and from watching him night out, night in and night out, and from seeing uh, his struggles out there on the floor. And I think the big thing, one of the big things that I, I always found particularly inspirational, and you guys can tell me if you if you agree as well, but it's Kobe's willpower. You know, I, I love the phrase. I taught for a while with a, a guy who's a, a Marine, and, and he adopted the whole Marine mantra of, of adopt and over uh, adapt and overcome right whatever challenges in front of you adapt and overcome you figure out a way to get the job done and i feel like kobe he just embodied that adapt and overcome oh my right shoulder is hurt no big deal i'm gonna hurt with i'm gonna shoot with my left my my shot isn't falling tonight in game seven in 2010 okay i'm gonna go pull down 17 rebounds i'm gonna go do whatever else i can do to help my team win he just found ways to get the job done. And that doesn't mean there weren't setbacks. It doesn't mean there weren't speed bumps. There were the air balls against the Utah Jazz in the playoffs. There were the struggles in the post-Shaq years where for a little while the team was Kobe and not much else around him. And he had to keep fighting and keep hammering and getting after it. And he did. He did. And so I look about look at that and I think about willpower. And I think about how us in our in our everyday lives sometimes we're a little short of willpower. For me, it's I go grab a snack that I shouldn't. I go, okay, I'm going to stick to this diet. I'm going to eat this, this, and this, and this is going to be fine. And next thing you know, that box of Cheez-Its in the pantry starts looking real good. That's that's a, a, a shortfall of willpower, or willpower there. And I think about Kobe's willpower to keep going. When you don't really want to, when you've got that little voice in your head saying, just rest, just relax. You don't have to keep going after it. He found a way to quiet that. And I always found that as remarkable. It was like he approached every game, every season, as though there was no challenge that was insurmountable, as though there was nothing that he couldn't accomplish because he knew that through sheer force of will, he was going to overcome whatever it was that was put in front of him. I wrote a line in a, a piece I wrote about Kobe a long time ago. In fact, it was right after Kobe passed. Um, and for some reason, it stuck with me. But I wrote a line where I said that Kobe would approach an obstacle like, a, like it was a, a brick wall. But he would keep hammering away with his fists at that brick wall because he knew that the wall was going to break long before he did. And that was just his, his mindset. That was just his mentality. It was the way he approached things. Was that he was going to keep after it because he knew that ultimately perseverance would allow him to win in the end. It was that strength of, of will that I found to be particularly remarkable about Kobe. And so when we look at, at Mamba Day and we think about, you know, the, what things we take away, that's typically what, what I think of 
what I think of. It's that that strength of will that he showed night in and night out. I also say this, you know, Kobe, his his final game, his final game. Um, it's ironically, it's my favorite out of all the 20 years of watching Kobe. His final game was my favorite game uh, of Kobe's. It was my favorite moment of his because I think it embodied a couple of things, two things in particular. I think for one thing, and I still get goosebumps when I think about this, that final 60-point performance, Kobe in that game, we hear the phrase, leave it all out on the floor, as the game was going on, like I recognized that that's what he was doing. He was emptying the gas tank. He was taking whatever basketball he had left in, and he was emptying it right there on the on the floor of the Staples Center at the time. He was giving that to LA. He was giving that to LA. And I don't know if we've ever seen. We think about the the distance runners who they get to the end of a race. I'm talking about the marathon runners who get to the end of a race and their legs physically can't go any farther and their bodies are shutting down and they're crawling across the finish line. Think about things like that. That was the amount of basketball Kobe had left. He had one performance left in him and he burned it all up that night. And it was absolutely incredible and something that I don't know if we'll ever see again to that degree that Kobe Bryant was able to give one last amazing performance to the fans there. Um, again, still gives me chills when, it, when I think about what he did that night and his ability to provide that one last, last gift, that one incredible performance. But I also think what was amazing uh, about Kobe, and I think that night showcased this as well, was understanding that he understood that his battle it was never against the team across the floor. His opponent was never, it wasn't the Utah Jazz. His opponent wasn't the Boston Celtics. His opponent wasn't the Clippers or the Nuggets or the Suns or whoever. His opponent was himself. His opponent was himself and the shortcomings of the human body. And that's what he was waging war against night in and night out. And boy, and you know it's not a war that you're going to win. But boy, did he go out with one incredible final performance. He went out with a bang, and that was absolutely amazing. And, and that, for me, was my favorite out of all the Kobe moments. So, everybody, um, Mamba Day, I wanted to share what I think of when, I, when Mamba Day comes around, when that day is here. And I'd like to encourage you guys just to stop for a moment. Right, whatever at whatever point in the day, and, and stop and think about what you can take away. I shared what I personally take away, and what inspires me. But what inspires you? What do you take away? And again, Kobe Bryant—he's not a—he's not a demigod. He's not—he's not a deity or infallible or any of that. But I think there's a lot of life lessons that we can take from the things that Kobe accomplished. Certainly, the things that he didn't as well. But what do you take away from it? Stop and think about it. And again, it's a rhetorical question, but let me know um, if you want to, what you guys take away from Kobe's career, from watching him for two decades or however long you watched him for. And I think that's part of what Mama Day is all about, seeing what we can take away from it.
All right. Um, let's, well, let me get into a few of your questions and comments that are coming in. And then I want to talk a little bit about Jared Vanderbilt. I want to talk a little bit about the wings and all of that, because this, finally, the Lakers have wings. Finally. Wanye Kest, with a great name, said, classic game rewind needs to be a playback staple. I agree. You know, we're going to try this out, but I am very optimistic. Very optimistic that this is something that we can do on a consistent basis over on over on playback. So again, playback.tv slash Lakers Nation. Join us 8 o'clock Pacific time. We'll watch Lakers, Suns, Game 6, an all-time great Kobe performance. But the Lakers, I mean, my goodness. Like if we just made a list of all the great classic Lakers games, it would be a very long list. So we've got a lot of material to pull from. We could spend a lot of time having fun watching some of these classic Lakers games together. Uh, Gabriel said, Mikael Bridges is going to look great in a Lakers jersey. Shout out to Austin Reeves. Also, winning time is so good. Hopefully, it gets renewed for another season. Agreed. Yeah, I want to see more. Look, I grew up. My, my formative years were during the 80s. Um, that was my first exposure to the Lakers, to Lakers basketball. My, for some of you guys who've been watching this show, listening to this show for a long time, have probably heard me say this before. But, but the earliest memory I have, thinking back as far as I possibly can, it's of watching the Showtime Lakers in the living room with my dad and trying to mimic Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's sky hook on my little mini hoop, my, my little kid's hoop, and all of that. So seeing winning time has been an absolute blast. It's been in some ways a trip down memory lane, but um, I, yeah, there's so many other great things that happen with the Lakers during the eighties. And I would love to see this springboard into a Shaq and Kobe version of winning time, which Jeff Perlman, the author of the book showtime, which is what uh, the TV show winning time is based off of. He also wrote a book called three ring circus, which is all about the Shaq Kobe Phil Lakers. So, I would love to see this eventually spin into the Shaq and Kobe Lakers and get that too. But make sure you guys check out Winning Time. Again, it's fantastic. Uh, as far as Mikael Bridges go, he goes, yeah, you know, Austin has quickly become buddies with him. We're seeing the kind of the banter on social media. Um, Bridges called Austin annoying, uh, jokingly, on, uh, on his uh, Instagram story today. And uh, look, there's no way to know for sure what's going to happen. But Team USA, it's where super teams are formed. And I mean, you just never know. You never know. These guys have a lot of fun playing together. And then naturally they start thinking, hey, would it be fun if we could play together during the regular season too? So who knows? Maybe in the future. Maybe in the future. Uh, James Bell, the play-in tournament is overrated. Everybody that was in the playoffs is already a top eight seed before it started. Um, so you're saying you don't like the play-in tournament that everybody was that was in the playoffs was already a top eight seed before it started. Oh, in, in terms of who made it this year? Sure, but I think that to me, I think the play-in tournament is a big win for the NBA. I think you accomplished a lot of things with the play-in tournament. I think that you've given teams, part of the play-in tournament was to deter tanking. And we're seeing that. We're not seeing, and this is to the detriment of a team like the Lakers who's trying to go for it, we're not seeing as many teams hit the trade deadline in fire sale mode. Just saying, you know what? We're the 10th seed right now, so we have no shot. Let's just trade away a bunch of players. And again, for the Lakers, who are a team who would be a buyer in situations like that, 
it's a negative. There's less players on the market at the trade deadline. But for the NBA as a whole, that means now the team that's in the 10th seed is no longer selling at the trade deadline. They're going for it. And it means those fans are engaged, right? You've got fans of that team that care about games into March, sometimes into April. So from the NBA's perspective, that's a win. In terms of how it looks optics-wise, you've got teams that are competing. We know what it looks like when teams stop competing. We know what it looks like when they're waving the white flag and they're saying, you know what, we're done. We're done on the season. We're running out the clock. Let's just get the season over with. We're going to go on our vacation. We'll see you later. We're not seeing that out of teams nearly as much. It still happens. It still happens. The Blazers pulled the plug. My goodness, the Mavs tanked their final couple of games of the season in order to preserve their draft pick. It still happens, but it's not as prevalent as it used to be. We're seeing better basketball deeper into the season. On top of that, you get the excitement of the play-in tournament. It's for some teams, if you're the nine or the 10 seed, it's win or go home. It's a March Madness-esque feel. No, it's not on the same, it's not the same caliber as March Madness, but it's that type of urgency. You're playing games with that much on the line. You win or you go home. That drama dries, draws in viewers. And so I think that the play-in tournament, for all those reasons and more, because I don't want to spend forever on just the play-in tournament, has been a big, big success for the NBA. And it look, that's my opinion. I understand some people may not like it, but the play-in tournament is a big part of the reason why I'm trying to keep an open mind about the in-season tournament. Because you know what? There was a lot of skepticism about the play-in tournament. A lot of people said they didn't like it. And I think that everything the NBA was hoping to accomplish with the play-in tournament has been accomplished, and then some. I think it's been a major success for the NBA, something that's worked out tremendously well. And we knew as soon as we got Warriors-Lakers, that first year of the play-in tournament, as soon as we got Warriors-Lakers in round one, and the ratings were through the roof, and the game was exciting and fun, you knew at that point. The play-in tournament wasn't going anywhere. It was going to be coming back for sure. I want to pause for just a moment to talk about Blue Wire, which is our podcast network. If you guys didn't know, Lakers Nation is part of the Blue Wire podcast network. And we have really, really enjoyed it. And they are now offering an opportunity to be part of their latest round of investments. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 with the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they work together. They currently have 300 shows of which Lakers Nation, Dodger Blue, NBA Front Office Show, Raptors Nation, all of these are among those that has former athletes, celebrities, media professionals, passionate fans as well involved. We joined up with Blue Wire part because we were just so impressed with them organizationally and also because of how easy it's been for us on our side to be part of their network, to be to feel like it is a home. And of course, you guys have seen some of the benefit of that when we get to do our studio shows out of the fantastic Blue Wire Studios at The Win in Las Vegas. They've privately raised over $10 million to grow and operate the business, and they're doing another round on WeFunder to expand their sales team and improve operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives you an opportunity to be part of a growing startup. It's not a donation. You'd be investing to own a piece of Blue Wire. If you want to be part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash Blue Wire. 
Buying tickets to your favorite event shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you will have. Personally, I'm the shopper, right? I look around a lot of different places trying to make sure I'm getting the best deal, particularly when it's a bigger purchase, which, well, tickets to a sporting event, they usually are. So I shop around to a lot of different places. So game time takes away my stress when I'm shopping for tickets because they offer a lowest price guarantee, which is absolutely phenomenal. So it's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You get images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect. No surprises. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds. And because of that game time guarantee, you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time credits you 110% of the difference. Think about that. That's how convinced game time is that they will offer you the lowest price they offer that guarantee that way you can buy with confidence and avoid that stress the tickets get sent directly to your phone so you don't have to dig through your email or anything like that you get them right to your phone so snag the tickets without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and use the code lakers nation for 20 dollars off your first purchase terms apply again create an account and redeem code Lakers Nation for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right. <laughs> okay, so I, I just clicked back over to the comments here to look at them. And um <laughs> and apparently my dad is actually watching the show right now. And and chimed in saying that I got the mini sky hook down um, when I was a kid in my you know again formative years watching the Showtime Lakers. Um, thanks, pops. <laughs> Appreciate it, and can't wait to see you this weekend. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about Jared Vanderbilt. Let's talk about him and his future with the Lakers. So Vando is in a really interesting spot right now. He will be extension eligible. Keith Smith and I talked about this earlier today. Uh, we put the video up on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Uh, Vanda will be extension eligible as of September 7th. And the Lakers can give him an extension uh, up to, they can get upwards of like $75 million on a four-year deal. And a lot of people would say that um it might be a little bit early to give him that kind of extension to give him big, big money. And I don't think you give him the most you absolutely can, but I think there's a compelling argument here to actually extend Jared Vanderbilt. And a lot of people will say, well, I, I saw this sentiment a lot in the YouTube comments saying Jared Vanderbilt right now, he's a one-way player, plays defense and he's a great defensive player, but offensively there's so much work that needs to be done still. He needs to be able to hit the corner three at a respectable rate. So teams don't just abandon him in the corner. He's got to work on his finishing at the rim, which is all true. His hands at the rim are not great. His finishing's not great at the rim. Uh, his ability to shoot the corner three, you need it, right? But he's already a top-notch defender. 
He's already, I think, not the best defensive player, but one of the better defensive players in the NBA, particularly at a position of need, a wing. He can defend multiple positions. He can do a good job with it, and he's very disruptive to players like Luka. He's very disruptive to a player like uh, like some of the guards that we've seen, even when after John Morant, right? We saw him defend guards, even Steph Curry. He can defend a lot of different players. And so Jared Vanderbilt is already in a very high tier when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. And so when we're looking at signing players to an extension and whether or not you want to do it, uh, or even if you want to give a player a new contract, it's always a gamble. It's a gamble of, is this player going to live up to this contract or not? What's the likelihood that the player is going to live up to it? Sometimes teams sign a player and they know the player is not going to live up to the contract, particularly at the end of the deal. If you are a championship team and you go sign a veteran player to a four-year deal, you're signing that deal knowing, hey, this guy's probably not going to be very good at the end of it. He's probably not going to live up to this deal at the end of the deal. But that's okay because we're going to we're going to accept that because we're going to get two, three really good years out of this guy still, even if the back end of this deal doesn't look so good. But most of the time, most of the time, when we're looking at signing a player, the question is, what's the value going to be? Is the player going to live up to it or not? And I think that because Jared Vanderbilt is already such a high-level defender, it's a worthwhile gamble to sign him long-term. And I'm not just speaking from the fan perspective. I'm trying to speak from organizationally, as a team, does the does a contract extension make sense? And I know Keith Smith and I talked about this. We said that most, most likely we're talking about a deal that probably falls somewhere in the Rui range. So maybe in the, say, the Rui is going to be right around $15 million this next season. Somewhere around there starting, maybe a little bit less, maybe $13 million. But if you get too close to like $12 million, then you're looking at an MLE deal, which at which point Vando's agent might say, you know what, let's just wait and see what we can get next summer. I think it's a worthwhile gamble to give Jared Vanderbilt a bit more than the MLE. Because I think that with moderate improvement, and remember, he's only 24. He just turned 24 a couple of months ago. With moderate improvement on the offensive end behind the three-point line and at the rim, he becomes a much, much more interesting player because he becomes at least a guy that you can't ignore on the offensive end. I don't know for sure that he's going to get there, but I think it's a worthwhile gamble that he does because if he does, he's going to blow past that value. If he does, he is such a good defender already, and he does so many great things that fit so well with what AD and LeBron provides that he is going to far exceed the value of that contract. And on the downside, worst case, worst case, even if he's the player he is right now, he's probably worth the mid-level exception, which is right around 12 million. So if you were to give him a deal, an extension, starting at, say, 14 or 15 million, your downside is maybe you wind up, if the offensive game doesn't come around, maybe you wind up overpaying him by two or three million dollars. And that's not ideal. That might make him his trade value negative out there on the market. But when we're looking at risk-reward, if Jared Vanderbilt is really willing to sign this extension, I think there's a high enough probability that he's going to exceed the value of that contract, that it's definitely worth exploring if you're the Lakers post-September 7th, which is when they can do this deal. I also want to add this. If you can get Jared Vanderbilt and you get him at, say, that 14, 15 million-ish range, that's another contract 
that's very, very tradable. It's very tradable. And these are the kinds of contracts that you need to stack up in order to go get another superstar. So into the future, at some point, may not be next summer. Who knows? Maybe it'll be four years from now. LeBron James is going to sail off into the sunset. It's going to happen. We don't know when. The, this could be it. This could be the last season of LeBron in LA. But at some point, LeBron's going to, to be done. He's either going to leave to go to another team, maybe play with Bronny. We'll see. Hopefully, Bronny's able to continue playing. Or he's going to retire. He already started hinting at that after the uh, the playoffs ended for the Lakers. He already started hinting at retirement. At some point, that's going to happen. And they've committed long-term to Anthony Davis, which I said they should. And the Lakers did a nice job getting that done. But you're going to need to bring in another star. You're going to need to bring in another player and sell them on playing with Anthony Davis and Austin Reeves. But here's the thing. If you look at the context of today's NBA, cap space is becoming less and less valuable. What we're seeing in today's NBA is not star players leaving to sign with another team. They're not going and walking into cap space. I mean, who's the who's the, the biggest star player to leave their team and go sign with somebody else? Jalen Brunson, probably, who's good. He's really good. But what we're seeing more often, it's trades. It's trades. Why? Because we're living in an NBA world where the prevalent thought among players is get the money now, figure out your destination later. And so we're seeing guys sign extensions. And what that means is that if you're a team that someday is going to want to be in the hunt for another star level player, you need a lot of these contracts that can be stacked up, that can be mixed and matched in order to satisfy the CBA's trade requirements and get a deal done. And Jared Vanderbilt, at around 15 million or so, would join guys like D'Angelo Russell, like Austin Reeves, like Rui Hachimura, who would fit very nicely in a potential future trade package. Now, I'm not saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you sign Jared Vanderbilt so you can ship him out and get a star. No, you sign Jared Vanderbilt because you believe in him as a basketball player. But the reality is that at some point, the Lakers are going to be in the market for another star player. And if you have these kinds of contracts that you can stack up that are with young, enticing players like Vando, like Rui, some of these other guys that the Lakers have on their roster, that's going to make it more feasible to swing the next big trade to bring in another star level player. So it's something that has to be part of the of the thought process here with your if you're the Lakers. Adding up a lot of these mid-sized contracts can ultimately get you to a place where you can land a star in today's NBA. You don't get them by preserving cap space and chasing players that way. It's not what we're seeing because players are signing extensions. Guys need to be traded for right now in the current NBA. And so adding Jared Vanderbilt to the mix just gives you another arrow in the quiver if you're Rob Palenka uh, that you can pull from to potentially use in future trade talks. And on top of that, again, this is where I think it's a smart value that he is going to provide more than enough production for the contract that the Lakers will be giving him on an extension. So that's something I'm going to be looking for. September 7th, that's the first day he can sign that extension. That's what we're going to be looking for. Do the Lakers get an extension done with Jared Vanderbilt. All right. Uh, Julian throws in. Thank you for the super chat, Julian. Appreciate it. If Braun retires next year, is it Austin's team or AD's team? especially if Austin recruits another star. 
would Lakers Nation defend Austin no matter what? Uh, I feel like since he's the fan favorite, we defend him more than AD. You know, in terms of whose team it is, it's going to be Anthony Davis's team. Um, the the money says that for one thing, which isn't always everything, right? Uh, but the money says it. But also, you look at what they do. You look at what they do on the floor. Austin Reeves is is tremendous. Steve Kerr's been calling him the connector on Team USA. He has the ability to enhance anybody around him, to improve the game of every player around him just by being in the right spots at the right time and being a smart basketball player out there on the floor. And that is more his role, right? That's what he does. He's not the 1A, give me the ball, I'm going to take over. He did it against Memphis. We can see him do it in bursts. But Anthony Davis, I think, is certainly the, the higher ceiling guy between the two. If it needs to be somebody's team, it's going to be Anthony Davis's team. Austin Reeves can certainly be a big piece to it. I think he can play at an all-star caliber level. I don't know if he'll actually make the all-star team, but he can be an all-star caliber player. That's more commentary on the depth of the guard position in the West, particularly all-star caliber players. Why I would question if Austin could even make the team or not. I think he can play at an all-star caliber level, but Anthony Davis, it would be his team. The team would be built around him. And that's okay because it doesn't matter who the team is built around for Austin. He's going to go out there and produce no matter what. And that's one of, I think, the biggest compliments I can pay him is when you look at NBA regular season, NBA playoffs, Team USA on the world stage, it doesn't matter. Austin just goes out there and he does what he does. His game stays the same. And, and he's able to adapt to whatever's going on around him, right? On this team, all I need to do is, is a pump fake, a dribble in, pull up jumper, got it, right? He's going to do that on the Lakers. He's going to do that on Team USA. And it's going to fit in seamlessly with any team, any surroundings. It works out great. So I don't think Austin would suddenly become the guy on the team, but it would be Anthony Davis's team. And Austin Reeves would be a big piece to it. He also may be the selling point to bring in other players to come play with it because you know what? He's getting, look, it helps when you're a Laker, but he's getting a lot of buzz, a lot of buzz from Team USA teammates, a lot of buzz from other players around the NBA. Our old friend Kyle Kuzma was tweeting about him just the other day. I think Austin may indeed wind up being a draw, wind up being a lure to bring players to LA. Could be interesting to see if Austin's able to get something like that done as well, if he's able to bring players to LA to join him in Anthony Davis sometime in the future. All right. Let's get into the wing depth before we call it a show here. One of the things that I really love about this year's Lakers team, love the way, and by the way, it's like a million degrees right now in my, in my studio because it's so hot everywhere right now. Even my AC can't quite keep up. Um, no, I'm not just that fired up about talking about the wings, although it is something that is it's really exciting. So when I look at this Lakers team and I look at the wing depth that they've got, one of the things that I've been saying they need for years has been more wing depth. And it's not easy to come by, but the Lakers, through a couple of trades, have managed to do it. Um, you get Rui Hachimura, which, by the way, that is looking like a bigger and bigger bargain all the time. Three second-round picks, and Kendrick Nunn for Rui Hachimura, you get Jared Vanderbilt. That 
those two alone went a long way towards enhancing your wing depth. And then you wound up getting Torian Prince, who I think they got him on a bargain contract, four and a half million dollars. That is an absolute steal for a wing of his caliber. Then you add Cam Reddish into the mix. Oh, and this LeBron guy that actually is really, really good as a wing. I look at the Lakers wing depth right now, and I think that they've got the pieces to really rotate through a number of different players and give a number of different looks at their opponents. So I think this Lakers team, the strength is going to be in an area that we haven't seen it before. In years past, we've seen a weakness on the wings. We've seen the Lakers lacking for wing players, and I don't think that's going to be the case this year. They've got size. They've got guys who have the ability to defend multiple positions, to hit the three, and to be a threat on the wing. I also look at Rui Hachimura, who there's pictures of him going around. The Lakers put out some pictures. He's slimmed down. He looks skinnier than, uh, than he did before, and he's working on that outside jumper. I wonder how much of that is just what needs to be done in order for Rui to hit another level, and how much of it is we're going to see LeBron more and more at power forward with this Lakers team as he gets older, and that's going to necessitate that Rui can play the three a little bit more and defend some of the higher scoring, quicker wings in the NBA when he's sharing the floor with LeBron. So there's a lot to be excited about with the Lakers wing depth here. And I think that the physical transformation that we're seeing now from Rui Hachimura may give us a little bit of insight into what the Lakers wing rotation is going to look like. I think we're going to see more LeBron at the four than at the three with Rui having more and Vanderbilt having more responsibilities defending on the perimeter because LeBron's going to be 39 in December. You don't necessarily want him chasing on the perimeter all the time. So that's another thing to keep an eye on. Uh, always winning throughout there. Is Rui a small forward? That's the question. Coming to LA, the commentary was he's more of a, a four than a three. He's 6'8", the 7'2 wingspan. We've seen him play the four quite a bit. But he can be a three, particularly if that three-point shot if that can settle in somewhere around 35, 36%, we know he shot 50% in the playoffs, not expecting that to happen again, but he shot like 30% for the Lakers in the regular season. If that can settle in somewhere around 35, 36%, that's going to help him to be a bit more of a perimeter based player. Also, if he is trimming down a little bit, his foot speed should go up and that should give him a little bit more utility in terms of defending on the perimeter and switchiness. Maybe it takes away a little bit from his defense in the post though, which I know a big question on the minds of Lakers fans, it's who's going to defend Nikola Jokic. If Rui is a slimmer version of himself, that might make defending bigs a little bit more difficult and make it a even bigger necessity that the Lakers do fill that 14th roster spot with another big. So that's something that's going to be important as well. All right. <laughs> the chat is saying they're getting hungry. Because I mentioned, because I have all the wings as the topic. People are talking about wing stop and all that kind of, <laughs> kind of stuff. Wing stop greater than sign Buffalo Wild Wings. All right. I can get on board with that. I can get on board with that. All right, everybody. Uh, wasn't going to do a full, full length, like hour long show for this one. Of course, it is, you know, the dog days of August and all that. But we did have plenty to talk about 
on tonight's show. Wanted Again, had to make sure that we talked about Mamba Day. We had talked about Kobe. But I also wanted to address the Jared Vanderbilt situation, the extension that could be coming in just a few weeks for him, as well as the Lakers' wing play and how important I think that's going to be. Uh, James Bell, to close things out for us, says, I think we'll be a top three offense and defense this year. Wow. Okay. Top three offense and defense. James, if you are right, start planning a parade down Figueroa. Because that's <laughs> if you're a top three offense and defense, you're winning a championship. That's a championship team if you're a top three team on both ends of the floor. I think they have a greater chance of being a top three defense. And part of that is Anthony Davis's defensive brilliance. I do think you have to make up for losing Dennis Schroeder on the perimeter. It'll be interesting to see how the Lakers handle that. Uh, with his defense, Gabe Vincent, it, I like him, but I don't think his defense is quite as good as Schroeder's was. Um, offensively, I think the lack of three-point shooting will hold them back enough to prevent them from being, say, a top three. Top 10, if you're a top five defense and a top 10 offense, that's also a championship caliber team. Can you get there? Again, can the Lakers shoot average from three? Can they rank like between... 20 and 15 in the NBA in three-point percentage. If they can, that would go a long way towards making them a top 10 offense. If they're like 20 to 25, even worse, that's going to be a problem for them. And offensively, they don't have a lot of snipers. D'Lo, Austin, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to knock down threes. Torian Prince, can he continue hit the corner threes? LeBron, does his three-point percentage go back up? I think there's enough other things that they can do offensively that if they can shoot reasonably well from three, a top 10 offense isn't out of the question. But I think the most likely thing is they could end up being a top five defense. And again, a lot of that has to do with Anthony Davis as well as what kind of urgency we can see this team play with. We saw them play with tremendous urgency after the All-Star break with the exception of perhaps being that awful game against the Houston Rockets. But they played with a lot of urgency then and their defense was absolutely phenomenal. If we can see more of that this year, that would go a long way towards getting the Lakers where they want to go. All right, everybody. Thank you guys for joining me here on the show. Make sure you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Of course, find us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to podcasts as well. Happy Mamba Day, everybody. Make sure you join us Thursday evening, August 24th, 8 o'clock Pacific time, Lakers, Suns, Game 6. We're going to watch a classic Kobe game together. Playback.tv slash Lakers Nation is where you find that. Till then, everybody, see ya and stay safe.